Welcome to the Land Ethic Podcast, dedicated to naturalism, conservation, and stewardship. I'm Dylan Banyasco, a landscape designer and outdoorsman from Central Texas. I'm learning from individuals and organizations that are working to improve our relationship with land. Subjects may range from regenerative agriculture to ethical hunting and wildlife management. Please subscribe on your preferred app and follow Land Ethic Podcast on social media for updates, episode releases, and more. Well, uh, Duke, thanks for joining me. Uh, I just want to start out with kind of an overview of your background and um, maybe your family's history in ranching and how you wound up in this position where you've earned the right to manage several hundred thousand acres of land in the West. Well, I was uh, born in Mexico on a really remote ranch. We were five hours from town and it was a horse culture people were uh, much more connected to the land, basically set back 100 years. And and so I had the the great fortune of of being raised in that kind of environment where we didn't have any, really any mechanized vehicles or anything. And um, basically went to school in uh, the United States, graduated with a uh, degree in creative writing and translation with Spanish was my first language and uh, worked on ranches all over the United States, Mexico, Australia, and finally landed uh, working for a good friend of mine in, in Colorado where an RFP came up for a large ranch, uh, which we manage today, which I answered it and was awarded a lease, which was a 25 year your lease and that's chico and, basin um what's that and that's the chico basin ranch yeah the chico basin ranch so that basically um gave me an opportunity to jump from working uh in the uh, in the industry from other with other people to um doing something on my own and everything has has uh, i've been very fortunate and lucky to to uh to be where we are today yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, in reading about you guys, I, I've not had the opportunity to visit. Um, I've been been uh, looking into you guys for a little bit now um, since I became aware of what you were doing, and I'm just astonished by the scale. Um, just in Colorado alone, it looks like you're managing about 200,000 acres between Chico Basin and Zapata Ranch over in the San Luis Valley, right? Yeah. And yeah. you've got... Uh, something like 2,500 wild bison on Zapata where you are. Is that right? Well, the, we manage those for the Nature Conservancy, and, and the herd has been that big. It varies between 1,500 and 2,500, depending on the, the year and so forth. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, and then you're, you're ranching your, uh, your beef master cattle, um, you're managing. Are, are, are the cattle at both ranches, or are they only at Chico Basin? Uh, the cattle are all on all the ranch. We have ranches in Wyoming, New Mexico, Texas, and Colorado, and the cattle are on all the ranches, um, including the Zapata, where the bison are. And I know that you guys are very, um, you have a very specific philosophy that seems to be, seems to be a family thing. Um, can you talk about your management, your herd management, your herd genetics, and mm-hmm. your family's philosophy around ranching. Sure. Um, well, the, the philosophy 
the, the cattle management philosophy uh, originated with the Lasseter family who created the Beefmaster breed. And um, they were close family friends. And I, I worked for the Lasseter family for 10 years leading up to the Chico. So they're a very, very important, large mentor in my life. <clears throat> in fact, the original cattle that we had at the Chico, uh, I brought with me from the Beefmaster Foundation herd. Um, so basically, uh, our herd cattle is a... Um, an embodiment of a management philosophy, which tries to select animals that are adapted to their natural environment. So that means that an animal, a cow that loses a calf to a predator, we don't shoot the predator, we get rid of the cow because other cattle were able to protect their calf. Or if a cow becomes anemic due to you know, her inability to protect herself from flies, ticks, lice, whatever it is, well, we don't spray the herd, we get rid of the cow. And most times um, when you have a, uh, a parasite control uh, uh, program, your dosage is determined by the weakest animal because those are the ones that you see. And, and, and so anyway, so we're trying to create uh, an animal that can live out in its natural environment with minimal inputs from, from us and raise a calf every year and breed, um, breed up which is, um, you know, exceedingly important. Okay. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, um, predator control. I know that, uh, I'm sure you were paying attention to, uh, the proposition 114 reintroducing gray wolves into Colorado. Uh, what are your thoughts on that and how well, that's going to affect you? You know, it's going to be a major issue, uh, for cattlemen and, and goat and sheep, uh, raisers. Um, but, I think that the, uh, you know, one of the, you know, back up a little bit, one of the, the big things that we're, we're facing as ranchers is that we only represent 2% of the population. And so when it comes to raising a wholesome product, uh, managing land, um, dealing with the challenges such as a wolf, well, then we're, you know, we're not really at the, at the decision-making table, it's it's what what we are handed by the 98% of the population, and and wolves are a very, um, you know, people are fascinated with wolves. If you go to a park, you know, all the T-shirts are, you know, many of the men will have a wolf in, on them and so forth. But anyway, yeah. so it's it's you know we've known that it's coming down the pike, and so. The only way we can look at it is as an interesting challenge. <laughs> so, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, what are you going to do when the wolves come and they, they start killing animals? Well, we can't wait for that to happen. We have to, we have to um, rise to the occasion and our surveillance and, and our presence on the land has to increase. And that means higher costs and, and so forth and so on. But, um, we're not afraid of it. Uh, we're going to deal with it, and we're going to make it um, make it a good thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I've heard it expressed um, mostly from the hunting side of things, and um, the effects on on backcountry hunters and elk herds and mule deer. Um, I have not heard much from the ranching side of things, so that's interesting to get your opinion. It, it is a strange divide of it seems like. Um, the more metropolitan urban 
areas are much more open to the idea, whereas the people who are actually going to have to deal with the consequences yeah. um, are a little bit more reticent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be a big impact. Um, but as you say, there are some positive sides too. I mean, the the elk population has exploded, and it's impacting um, a lot of things. You know, including the aspen and and the mountains and and so anyway, uh, there's some positive things that are are going to come with it. I think. Okay, um, one of the big things in in looking into your company, I was struck by your your business model. Um, you have developed a system where you you really kind of implement multiple revenue streams. And that seems to allow you to ranch in a way that's um, where you can stick to your beliefs and your philosophy around ranching and and be sustainable in ways that maybe other more intensive traditional ranching operations aren't able to do. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the one of the big um, I was going to say differences, but it's not a difference. It's one of the things that defines who we are is that we have to uh, make the business sustainable. We don't have uh, a second source of income. So when you're online and, and all the ranches except for one are, are leased ranches. So we have to come up with a large land payment for the use of the land on on 90% of our ranches. And so when you're online like that, you've got to be as creative as you can. So from necessity, we have looked at land as a multidimensional resource. And all that means is each, and, and what that means to us is that each piece of land is unique. It has something uh, different about it, whether it's proximity to a river or has, a, has water, it's scenic value, it's close to, you know, whatever. Um, so we tried to, to match the things that we're good at, things that we love doing with what those amenities might be. And, uh, as time has passed, we've, we've come to realize that economics divert flexibility, uh, and being able to, uh, have multiple revenue streams is a really critical part of land stewardship or conservation because when it dries up, you have a drought, uh, in order to minimize the stress on the land, you have to decrease your stocking rates. And the sooner you can do that, the better. And so if you have multiple streams, well then you're able to do that. And that's so critical. Um, so over time, I mean, a lot of people ask me, why are you guys so conservation oriented? What, why are you different? And I'm saying, we're not really different ranchers as a whole are very conscientious of the land that they manage because we depend on it. And, you know, sometimes uh, I might get up and speak to a group of people and I forget about talking about conservation because it's almost like brushing my teeth. It's something I think about and same, and, and all my friends who are ranchers and everybody I know um, are very, very concerned about it. And it's part of what we all think about every day. It's just that sometimes we don't have a choice because we only have one revenue stream and you have, you know, if you have a loan at the bank or, you know, you have some kind of financial uh, pressure, um, you're going to keep the cattle on as long as possible. But 
<laughs> but anyway, um, that's that's our management philosophy. So we develop uh, ranch vacations for people who are interested in not in coming here and and um, and being taken care of, but joining us in what we're doing on the ranch to learn why ranching is so important to large scale conservation in the West, why it's, we think it's the most compelling alternative to, to the, the, the ecological woes that we face, face as a nation or is as that, a world, really. Is that a um, standard kind of guest experience or it sounds like, are you saying they actually get in, they, they have a chance to get involved with ranch operations? Yes, that's the core uh, service or the core uh, experience is, is people coming and if they want to, I mean, we have various programs and some of them are more uh, oriented toward getting involved in the ranch and some of them are, are, are less, but the core idea on all of our programs is to come learn about ranching by participating in what we're doing. So if you want to show up at, at four in the morning or seven o'clock and let's go out and put feet out or let's go monitor or let's go move cattle or, you know, whatever we're doing. That's great. Um, I think that's a trend that I'm seeing um, in some, especially at a larger scale, seeing other ranches do similar things where they're, they're doing a lot of public outreach. They're, um, establishing more of a social media presence and uh, offering hunting and fishing opportunities. And I think people are um, understanding that idea, but it can't always be, I don't know, what would you say to a, a small scale rancher who is worried about their bottom line and maybe can't sacrifice production and they're, they're having trouble getting away from a traditional system? Um. Well, I, I would just say to them that there's a lot of alternatives and we can't think um, that there's only way one way of doing things. A piece of land is is has a lot of different interesting things. And, you know, if you're a horseman, you can offer horsemanship clinics. Or if you're a fisherman, you can fish in the stream that runs through your ranch. Or if you're a photographer, you can take people out and take photos. You know, there's just a lot of things that you can do. Um, the, what you really have to learn to do well is offer a experience that fits someone that's coming in to your home. And so that means good food, good communication, you know, nice sheets on the bed, um, you know, all those kinds of things have to, to be in line. And we've learned about that. Um, uh, we've learned how difficult it is to offer a good experience um, to someone. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I know that this is a family operation and it is your home. Um, and is this something that, and oh, by the way, I know that you have sort of an open door, or prior to COVID, have kind of an open door policy for uh, birding um, because you're in a, a major migratory flyway there um, at Chico Basin. What is that like, having people come onto your property all the time and, you know, looking for birds? Well, um, it's, it's great. 
the first thing I thought about when we did that was um, this is my home and I'm doing this because of the lifestyle, because I love being out here and doing what I do and bringing a bunch of people in, the pu allowing the public to come in or, or bringing guests in. Um, and so I felt, well, this is going to be an invasion or this is, you know, people are going to come and they're going to try to tell me, you know, or, or you know, look for problems uh, that that are going on, but it's been a, it's been the opposite. Uh, whether there's there are guests that are coming from New York City or Atlanta, or someone is coming out from Colorado Springs to to the banding station we run, or if it's uh, kids, we have two thousand kids that come to the ranch every year uh, to education oh, wow. programs that we pay for. So it and all these people come, and everyone wants to become a part of what we're doing by supporting us in whatever way and we haven't had a single incident really uh, where someone's trying to um, say we're doing something that's negative um, so really uh, over time as this has happened um, you know it's interesting when you're when you uh, start out on something never can predict what's going to happen except that it's going to be unpredictable or it's going to be different than what you expect. And, and the biggest thing that we have encountered is the vast amount of people who are interested in ranching um, for what it really is. And it's, you know, we're not a bunch of cowboys running around on horseback shooting guns in the air. Uh, we're not people who are mining the land. <clears throat> and so it's a great opportunity to build bridges and a very ne necessary thing because the the urban environment is, or the, or the people who are living in town are, are growing away from nature. And we're working to try to live closer to nature. So it's a great opportunity to build a constituency, uh, bridges with people. You know, we have to do this together. And we're not going to be out here on the land working it and making a headway. But if we have people from town who believe in what we're doing and want to support what we're doing, well, then uh, we're going to make some headway. Yeah. And, and in that vein, um, I mean, I know that you, uh, you've got, like we said, the cattle and the bison. Do you find a difference um, between the way people respond to those two species? Because I think, and just like we talked about wolves earlier, there are certain animals that just elicit a reaction in people. Um, these charismatic fauna like like buffalo like wolves um when you're talking about conservation and trying to to do this public outreach and bridge those gaps um is there a difference between your your cattle operation versus your bison operation or is it all just part of one holistic philosophy well no uh, there's a you know, bison are, are greatly misunderstood, I think. Um, you know, a lot of people think that all you have to do is let bison walk across the land and everything flowers behind them. <laughs> That's not true. It's, you know, bison will affect the ecosystem uh, depending on the management program that they're under. Other people think that if you walk out in the field, they're going to come kill you or turn your truck over or destroy fences. And no, they're not like that either. It, it's a function of management, 100%, whether you're running cattle or, or bison. Do you have a preference between the two? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I prefer cattle, 
and that's just because um, it's a culture that I was raised in, and um, I, you know, we we raise an animal that, um, you know, over time we've come very close to, um, and we I just love love our cows, and, and that they're they're um, <clears throat> an essential tool for achieving our conservation values on the on the ground, both uh, from an economic provider and also as an animal that has evolved in a symbiotic relationship with the land, you know, in terms of disturbing it and resting it and cultivating it and doing all the things, you know, take, uh, recycling water and mineral and <clears throat> all those kinds of things that are very necessary to do that uh, we stop from happening when we, when we arrived, modern man arrived and put fences up and stopped the great, great movement of, of migrating animals. So we need to continue doing that. Bison are, I love bison. That doesn't mean I don't appreciate, I can sit inside a herd of bison and just watch them all day long because they're just something that's come down through the ages. And there's just something about even just watching the animal walk across the ground uh, is really incredible. But they're, they're a wild animal. They have a lot of instincts that are very different than a domesticated animal. And they're very difficult to management relative to cattle they can be done. It's just a different, um, it's, an, it's a different challenge. Um, so, you know, I like them both, but I was, um, you know, both are, have their, 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 the good and the bad side, I guess. I understand that. Um, I came from viticulture, um, growing up, growing grapes here in central Texas and some varietals are just preferable to work with. Um, some are more picky. They kind of have their own personalities and characteristics. They, you go, well, I love it all, but if I had my druthers, um, you know, one may be more, um, easy or enjoyable to work with. Um, yeah. so that makes sense. I, I recently had an opportunity to visit a bison ranch here in Fredericksburg near, um, Austin where I live called Rome Ranch. And, uh, they've got a few hundred bison out there. And um, they're doing some of the, they're implementing similar practices to you all. Um, but I was just, like you said, I was just in awe watching these animals. You feel like you're, you feel like you've traveled in time. Um, mm -hmm. It's really incredible yeah. to watch them on the landscape. <clears throat> yeah, they really are. It's, it's, it's um, you know, a, a buffalo can walk slower than any animal I've ever seen. They just, <laughs> barely walk and you're going wow that took a long time to develop that cool walk and then all of a sudden um a young a two-year-old bull can almost outrun a horse and um it's um, amazing the athleticism that they have and the other thing that's really cool about them is that they will they're like a school of fish you can be herding um a large herd let's say even at a fast pace and if an animal at the rear turns between horsemen, the whole entire herd, even the ones in front, will turn as if they have eyes in the back of their head. Just like the school of fish. It's pretty, pretty, it's nuts. I saw a video. Uh, you guys put out a video. I'm not sure who produced it, but it was called Duke and the Buffalo. 
Yeah, and, we produced uh, that. Okay, and it depicted that exact scene. The first uh, run, <laughs> yeah. the first drive. Um, yeah. I watched one of the the buffalo at the rear turn around, and it just caused mm-hmm. a chain reaction. That was uh, yeah. That was exhilarating, <laughs> just watching you guys run with those <laughs> buffalo, man. Yeah, I'll tell you a story behind that film sometime. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I think um, back to uh, I want to go back in time a little bit um, and talk more about your family because um, I thought that I was ready for this interview and then last night I stumbled across um, some of your articles that you'd written and uh, you're a fantastic writer and I I was reading about your mother flying planes all over Mexico um, and just uh, I can tell that. There's a history of, um, obviously, there's several generations of ranching, but is this philosophy something that you have built in your lifetime? Um, is it something that your children are expanding on? Obviously, they're involved in business operations now, but um, how has this all kind of formed, and, and what were your parents like in terms of um, their their management of cattle? Yeah. Uh, well, my dad was um, second generation, and so I have four kids, two of which are, are full partners, the two eldest, and uh, my dad was uh, and was a pilot in the war. Uh, he was a fighter pilot flying Mustang Air P-51s, <clears throat> and my mother was a wasp. She flew, uh, as you as you read. And so, because we lived in, in a really isolated environment, uh, airplanes were something that, um, if you go to a birthday party, it'd be 20 planes parked outside. Uh, everybody <laughs> oh. had an airplane because the trip was 30 minutes versus five hours. So, it, it was like suburban or the... <clears throat> so, you had horses and airplanes. <laughs> yeah. It, and so, I was... Re- I mean, I could fly when I was 12 years old and, and got my license when the day I turned 16. <clears throat> and so aviation and my son flies my daughter my daughter flies hmm. uh, aviation uh you know we manage we're able to manage ranches that are far apart because we can we can get across um, the country pretty fast <clears throat> wow. um so my father uh, always said go to school and study from good professors that you find interesting and study what turns you on don't don't try to study something that it's gonna that you think is gonna help you career-wise just learn about the world learn about yourself learn how to write learn how to read uh learn how to trans you know learn about where we've come from and then when you get out of school go to work for people who are doing interesting things in the profession that you want so it's basically what i did and he took us to a very wild place um where I had the freedom to go out into the corners of places where maybe very few uh, modern people had been to, um, and I lived with horses. So I grew up with an appreciation of land, grew up on a very large-scale landscape, and I grew up on a place that, that actually was economically viable. So all those things, I think, have come to me through you know, my parents' And my kids are are taking what um, what I started and 
in 1999 and are developing it into um, what what we're becoming, basically. And um, is your daughter, Tess, is she the mastermind behind the branding and the overall um, sort of online presence? Yes, Tess, is, Tess wears a lot of hats, um, all related to marketing, business development, um, digital presence, our storytelling, um, leather shop, hospitality, uh, education, <laughs> on and on. And my son, he, he is a general manager. He runs all the ranches, the physical side of it. And of course, he's involved with everything as well. And we have a lot of, a lot of, uh, of uh, cross-pollination, but those are the two spaces uh, that each of them manage. Yeah, that that's fantastic. I was really struck by, um, like I said, your your marketing and the way that you have all you all have positioned yourself. Um, and you're in such a unique position in terms of the the scale. And um, I think you're managing, like you said, land that is owned by, uh, in one case, the state land board, and in the other case, the uh, nature conservancy. Um, it's, it's something that I don't think I had realized was, uh, was happening on that scale before. Um, is it something that you see you all will be in this position for, um, in perpetuity or for, you know, the foreseeable future or are these leases that are going to end soon? No, I mean, this is, this is a growing we're a growing organization. We have a, a young group of people that um, have have um, evolved uh, through uh, the Ranchlands Management Guild, which is a leadership uh, in ranch management program that that we started in 2000. And so, um, all of the properties that we manage uh, are being managed by the young people who we have developed. Uh, in our in our management program um it's really i mean our business has grown but along with the business uh which is an unexpected outcome that we never really intended to do but has happened and we just morphed into it is is um how do we take ranching into the future um, it's an old industry and that mean age is 65 years old. Uh, it's not an wow. economically viable really. Um, and so how do we, how do we take that into the future? You know, as a family that has young, you know, you know, two, three, four, five, six year old children coming up. And so really it, it, our key into the future is the role that we play in the preservation enhancement of the ecosystem on a landscape scale. That's what ranchers can do better than anyone else because ranchers are living on the land already. We depend on it. There's a lot of institutional knowledge that ranchers have. Conservation, instead of being something that uh, organize, you know, environmental organizations have to go out and raise money for year after year, year after year, cattle produce that and, 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 and enable us to 
achieve conservation because economically it's supported by what's on the ground. Um, and so, and, and as I said before, cattle are a tool, an essential tool for manipulating the surface of the ground physically to achieve those conservation values. So part of the reason we, we have gotten uh, better at telling the ranching story is because we want people to understand what grazing really is. And it's, it, ranching is the most misunderstood industry I think there is because you have this romance and the glamour to it. And the other side, people think it's tearing the environment apart. But really, it's it's going, you know, if it's done right, um, it's, going to, it's going to save the planet. And that's how we see it. And, and so we're trying to influence other ranchers, influence people in town who, who understand that, build a constituency of people who understand what ranching is and, are, and help us grow into, um, you know, something that's bigger and it's going to have more positive impact on the environmental yeah. landscape. Coming from Texas, um, this is so important because as you know, I mean, it's Texas is something like 96% privately owned. We don't have yep. uh, federally protected lands. Um, I recently was out in Big Bend. Uh, but other than that, you know, mm -hmm. yes, there are, there are state parks and, and, uh, and national parks. But for the most part, we're talking about tons and tons of private landowners and a few enormous ranches out in the West. But um, the power of private landowners and specifically ranchers, I think, to enable conservation and to to start to look at how we fenced up this entire this massive swath of land. Um, I, I'm hoping that more and more people are going to be on board with some of these ideas and realize how much agency they really have in terms of conservation and not just production, like you said, and um, you know, then the, the negative effects of overgrazing and soil degradation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I, you know, I completely agree with you. It's, it's a, it's a great challenge. And one of the great things about cattle industry is that it's one of the, it's an American tradition. Um, you know, it's, it's something that's handed down generationally and it's pretty cool because that, you know, that's a disappearing, um, something that's not happening anymore like it used to. On the other hand, it's also um, has a way of narrowing the perspective. So if you inherit a way of doing things, that's the way you're going to do it. You're biased towards that. So it had, it was two sides of the sword there, but, um, but anyway, um, I think, I think it's really important that we establish ways of communicating and, and uh, moving moving it forward in, in a positive way and and i think social media is you know the phenomenon of social media is 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 going to help us do that yeah for better or worse uh i agree yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um you know it's it, to social media's credit it has enabled a lot of people like myself who are interested um to find people like you all um, I think I've found you through social media and um, and a lot of other people that I'm that I'm interested in what they're doing. So, yeah, there are definitely some positive effects. Um, one thing I wanted to ask: if you left, you know, this um, 
this land that you're managing, if we picked up and left and just turned it into, um, you know, sanctuary, um, untouchable, undevelopable wildlife sanctuary, what would that land look like? Uh, I know that, well, let's talk about each of the ranches. Um, I know you've got short grass prairie um, uh, on the Chico Basin and then over in the San Luis. I'm not sure what that landscape is like as much, but what would happen well, if we just stopped? Yeah. Well, I think there's a there's a misunderstanding of 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 uh, what happens when you just take everything off the land. The land evolved with disturbance, whether it's fire, wind, water, grazing, whatever. And so you can't just fence it off and and keep keep the disturbance uh, grazing because it's it's a very important part of it. Um, so the two things that damage ecosystems: overgrazing and overrest. So if you were to leave and create a sanctuary and not allow it and not it not becoming a, a working landscape, well, then it's good, there's going to be degradation. Um, and and that's not just my opinion. That's that's something that is scientifically been um, proven or established. Um, and so the future has to be um, framed by working landscape so i think work you know people are part of the ecosystem now and in many ways conservation is not about plants and animals anymore it's about people and so i can be the best environmental manager out there in the world but if i can't earn a living it's, it's not going to happen if my if 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 my if the my values aren't being met, my family's values, my community's values aren't being met, it's not going to happen. So it's really all about how do we work together? How do we work on an economic basis? And how do we care for the land? It's a combination of things that we have to do. Um, yeah. I was kind of hoping you would say that because I think that, um, I think this has been something that that I've come to terms with and have learned more about, but the initial reaction often when, when people think about environmentalism and um, conservation, I think is to, yeah, to say, well, what if we just leave it alone? Um, mm -hmm. Nature will, will balance itself out. And in some cases that, that may be true. Um, in other cases, I tend to think, um, especially because of my background in, in landscape architecture, that, our agency and our our hand on the landscape is to such an extent that um, we really have a responsibility to to act as, as curators and um, you know as stewards. And so um, I'm too, I'm completely on board with you, but um, I think it's I think it's important to have that conversation sometimes. You know, in terms of well, why not just why not just leave it. And there's reasons why yeah. not, like you said. Yeah, I think uh, you're completely right. Um, I mean, that's that's our natural. You know, sometimes uh, land has to be rested for a long period of time. Um, but if it's rested indefinitely, um, you know, the soil surface just becomes more and more bare. Um, plants become lignified, and they stick up in the air like skeletons. Um, so there ha the dynamic of nature is hot and cold, wet and dry, uh, grazing, no grazing, uh, fire, no fire. You know, all these things have to happen. 
um, and it's all cyclical. Yeah. Speaking of, of uh, wet and dry, what are your thoughts on um, the future of water in the West? This is something that uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still, I have a lot to learn about, but um, obviously a huge issue for certain parts of the West, including where you are. Yeah, well, there's a great book called Cadillac Desert. Have you read that? No, Cadillac um, Desert? I think it's, it, I always get mixed up. It's either Cadillac Desert or Desert Cadillac. And okay. it just talks about um, how rivers have just disappeared um, overnight because a city bought all the water rights without anybody knowing and the damming of all of the West and the water. Uh, it's a great book. But, yeah, I mean, people are people need water. And uh, the cities are growing, and our population is moving from one site to another. And so water is becoming, <clears throat> on the ranches that we manage, uh, we're having to put meters on the wells. And you have states fighting for water rights, uh, Mexico and Texas, um, Kansas and Colorado, you know, Arizona and New Mexico. Georgia um, and Tennessee. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's happening. So it's a... Yeah, it's a. Um, we know that it's going to become. <clears throat> it's already contentious, but even more so, water's more valuable. Um, yeah, it's a it's a major thing, and you know, grazing. Uh, takes water and puts it into the ground. Uh, good, responsible management, re, you know, recycles water back into the ground, and purifies it. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? <clears throat> yeah. So if you have a herd of cattle and you're managing it in a way that um, it's moving in a rotation, which emulates a migrat migratory path around your ranch. <clears throat> so you're grazing and you're not returning until that grass is completely recovered. It's taking the dry plants that it's not grazing. It's laying them on the ground. And that protects the surface of the soil from the direct heat of the sun. So you're preserving moisture underneath that grass. It allows the grass to rot or to recycle back into the soil, making the soil less brittle. And so it's, that's why it's so important to have grazing because it takes all that matter that they don't graze and they defecate and they urinate and recycles it that way. And then it lays the matter on. And when it rains, all these particles grass pieces form little dams and it stops the water from running and it percolates back into the soil so as it goes through the soil it's being cleaned and it's also replenishing the aquifer below so it's a critical aspect of grazing people don't realize yeah that's um that's fascinating and that's something that um i still kind of uh i don't know i ha not having direct ranch experience um i i think some of these concepts are easy to understand easy enough to understand but um you really have to get out there and see it and and it sounds like you guys are very connected at um at the large scale down to like you said that that small scale of what's happening on your soil so that's fantastic um i hope to get out there Hopefully this year, I'd love to come visit you guys. Um, yeah, it'd be great. I know you're probably getting booked up now that things are easing up, um, but I'd love to come see one of your ranches. 
Go ahead, be wonderful. Uh, just let me know when you have some free time. Thanks. Yeah, and I know my wife would love to see your uh, your horse sanctuary, which I read about. <laughs> uh, can you tell me more about that? Well, the the horse sanctuary was an idea that I had a long time ago uh, to offer a place for retired horses, um, and really they're that never really got any traction because people weren't interested in it or I wasn't talking to the right people. I'm not sure what it is, but hmm. I mean, I still think it's a horse sanctuary. Horses are a vital part of what we do and how we handle cattle and, and, and uh, you know, leave our footprints out in the, on the land, you know, have a presence out in the land. Um, and when a, one of our horses reaches an old elderly age, he's turned out for the rest of his life and, lives lives his days out on the land he worked or she worked yeah i um you don't want to see me on a horse uh it's not pretty <laughs> i have a lot to learn but um they're incredible most animals. of the people that uh come to our to the ranch lands guild uh have never ridden before oh wow or many of them haven't yeah on our um just about a year ago my wife and i went to costa rica for our honeymoon and um we had the chance to ride through the mountains, and in the U.S., you know, you go on a um, on a guided horse ride, and it's just kind of a slow walk with with really docile, domesticated horses. And this yeah. was a little different. Uh, in Costa Rica, he he let us gallop, and um, huh. I, I damn near fell off. It was uh, <laughs> it was not a pretty sight, but it was fun. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing like a horse, that's for darn sure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think this is great. We touched on a lot of the things that I was interested in, and I really appreciate your time. Um, I just, uh, I think I think you guys really fit the bill of all of the things that I'm trying to learn more about through this venture. You know, the, the namesake of the podcast, Land Ethic, is based on Aldo Leopold's um, Sand County Almanac, where he calls mm -hmm. for... Yeah, or kind of a repositioning of ourselves within the natural environment and uh, members, you know, as members rather than conquerors of the biotic yeah. community. And um, I'll be speaking to a lot of people who are living that in different ways, uh, farmers, ranchers, you name it. And so I really appreciate you being one of the early episodes and um, I look forward to, to hopefully meeting you in person. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure and um, I appreciate your uh, your dedication, your work here. And I think it, it's important that people hear more stories about uh, what's going on in the land from a, from a uh, regenerative standpoint. Well, thank you. Um, Duke, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'll let you get to it. I know it's early for you over there. So, uh, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Okay, you take care. Have a great day. Thank we'll you. See you, Dylan. You too. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.